0: What's up, guys? Before the show, we wanted to tell you about our new bingo endeavor, B-I-N-G-O. So, what we have now on our website is a bingo sheet, five by five, with multiple prompts across various episodes. So, it could be uh, Bobby's haircut is referenced, or um, Bo doesn't like his drink, or whatever prompt it may be. Uh, You'd basically download the bingo sheet, or print it out fill it out accordingly when you come across something in an episode. So when you came across uh, Bobby and myself talking about his haircut, uh, you would mark it down. You'd say it's episode four or the endocrine lecture or wherever it may be. Fill out all the boxes, post it on Instagram, tag us, or just send it to us through Instagram, and we'll send you a piece of merchandise from our store totally free, shipping and everything. So kind of a little fun game to get y'all engaged, to have you look for key parts within the podcast, and then to potentially just uh, get some free merch, we got posters, among other things, in our store, so check it out.
1: Yeah. All right, Gunners, welcome back to another special edition of the Buzzwords Podcast. Today, we're going down the old windy road of ethics, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Bo, and we have a special guest today. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. My
2: name is Sean. I'm a one of the internal medicine residents at SoCal Facilities.
0: Yeah, Sean is an old friend from medical school, and uh, he is here to talk about ethics today. Shout out to uh, one of the original uh, Reddit followers of our group who recommended that we pursue some ethics podcasts, since it is such an important topic in both step one and step two, and is becoming only increasingly more important with the changes that have since developed. So Bobby, what are you drinking today?
1: So I am drinking uh, Beastie, which is an American stout by Market Garden Brewery which I think is a local Ohio brewery. What are you guys sipping on?
0: Yeah, today we have uh, a brew from Longship Brewery. They were nice enough to send us a care package of quite a few brews, so we're very thankful for them. And if you're ever in San Diego, please check them out. Today's beer is the Lingonberry Wheat Beer. So super excited to try them. They were so nice, uh, welcoming. They showed us around the facility. Um, We'll post some of the Instagram pictures about uh what their kind of like viking uh theme is it's just a very cool place and they have some great brews so we're excited to try this one as well sean and i will split this
1: one today nice well shall we get into it then the battle Let's of which has begun it ends when you decide and we both drink to bring us to absolute point you know, you know i like it straight up why is rum always gone a sort of an oaky after birth
0: detain a flyer for enjoying his whiskey what was that? now that's high you
1: cheers buzzwords
0: all right bobby i have a question for you today are you ready yeah let's go if this is anyone's uh, first podcast uh bobby is notoriously hard to stump so as always we try to give him the hardest questions but it's hard when you have big brains so
1: well i am extremely unethical so we'll see
0: yeah you got the balance big brains low ethics where <laughs> do we meet <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Bobby, I have a 90-year-old female. Uh, She has Alzheimer's, so she's demented. She can't really make her own decisions. Uh, She comes to your facility. She can't communicate with you. Uh, She has multiple family members kind of routinely visit her, but you're unable to achieve a consensus as to what the patient's wishes are. So what should you do in terms of her care? Do you listen to, for example, the eldest child? Do you just do what you think is best? Um, do you ask for another attending to help you? Do you get you know, admin or ethics involved? What would you do as a provider?
1: So usually in cases where there's like family discordance in terms of what you want to do uh, for a patient who is unable to make their own care decisions is you want to call a family meeting and try and resolve whatever the disagreement is in terms of their plan of care. But if I remember correctly, there's, there's sort of a hierarchy in terms of um, family members for decision makings. So if I remember correctly, it's like the parents or um, in this lady's case, probably the spouse. And then I believe it's adult children and then like other relatives after that. So at the end of the day, if they can't come to a consensus, it's whoever is the highest in that hierarchy technically has surrogate decision making.
0: Right. That's a great, I think there's like an acronym, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like Mm. like S-chips or P-chips or something like that with child and and I think S-chips is spouse. Yeah, so let's say for whatever reason, and this is kind of becoming more of a wishy-washy scenario at this point, because that was a fantastic answer and and would be the correct answer with anybody that doesn't have decision-making, always try to get the family together. But let's say you've already done that and the family is just not having it and you don't know anyone's ages or relationships, but you know they're all family members. And so at that point, what do we do?
1: It's it's like turning into a weird puzzle
0: it's like a read my mind kind of thing yeah
1: in that case i think you would potentially get the hospital ethics committee involved
0: perfect yep that was that was exactly right so uh any patient you're gonna have multiple questions on your step exam about uh you know next steps in care who is the surrogate decision maker among other things it's always discussion 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 and ultimately if you can't come to consensus uh, get the ethics committee involved. Although I've never actually seen that be the right answer, uh, very limited.
1: But. Yeah, if you're picking the ethics committee as an answer choice, you better have a really good reason that all the other answer choices are wrong, because right. chances are it's not the ethics committee.
0: Right. Exactly. It's like the same thing as like for like reproductive questions, like the ethics behind reproductive stuff. Like the answer is never like let the husband decide. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like woman wants tubal ligation let husband decide is not the right answer Mm -hmm. if you pick that please show
1: yourself out (laughs) all right well done i thought these were supposed to be hard ethics questions come on
0: well i I start you off with an easy one i know sean has got some uh, big brain questions for you as well
1: okay brain questions so an unconscious man comes in by EMS with his fiance who rode along uh, after the two were in a car accident. The patient has a large laceration and is probably bleeding internally as well. In route, EMS is trying to be- keep his pressures up but with just fluids alone, but his pulses are pretty thready, and when he gets to the hospital, they get an H&H, and his hemoglobin is 5. You tell the fiance you you're going to give blood products, but she objects on the grounds that they are a Jehovah's Witness. What do you do next?
2: So this is a uh, patient came in bleeding, uh, this is an emergent case. If the patient is not normally under normal circumstances, uh, you always want to make sure you do no harm. Uh, if the patient, you don't know anything about the patient, we'll just give blood and transfuse because this is a medical emergency. But because the patient is voicing that he is, um, not the patient voicing, but the family member is voicing that he's a children as a witness, you'd be concerned should we hold blood as we want to make sure that we are going by the patient the so number one that supersedes our, our will to help a patient is the autonomy of the patient. Uh, in this circumstance, the patient is unconscious. We had a finding from an alternative route, which is from the wife, which is the spouse, who should be the person best knowing the patient. If the wife has already had a very serious discussion with the patient, knowing that the benefit of blood transfusion and also knowing the harm of transfusion and what the outcome is, that if you don't receive blood, you know that you're gonna die, and that is the ultimate, you know, some of um, uh, the ultimate form of harm. Um, so, if the patient knows that at that time and had that discussion with the wife, then we would just hold the blood for him.
1: So that was a good answer. This is kind of a trick question because I said fiance, not fiance. wife, oh, so they aren't oh. actually married
0: yet. See, this is what Bobby does. he lifts you up and then he it's just the technicalities. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and
2: by that chance you know we can't just base on fiance you don't know who the fiance is they, they can just find out like a month ago this sonny just like this is it um in that circumstance i would not uphold the fiance's because i don't know if the fiance knows the patient well enough so
1: do no harm save the patient transfuse the blood cheers yeah that's good jehovah's witnesses are one of those weird like tricky corner cases that always shows up on as an ethics question and one thing that you can do is you can check their wallet and there's a Mm. card basically that says whether or not they want blood transfusions that is accepted as like a legal decision-making type thing, like a advanced directive, I guess, essentially for whether or not they want blood products. So if they're not married and the husband's unconscious and they don't have a card saying no blood, then you can give them blood to try and save their life now what if instead of it being a husband and or a fiance's it was mm-hmm. a mother and a child would that change anything
2: that would that certainly would so the it would be would it be the mother declining or it would be the child declining? so the child is the one that's unconscious yeah. so if this child because it's he's not independent um anyone less than 18 cannot make medical decisions for themselves because they're considered incompetent except for certain cases um, in this case it will be a medical emergency. You know that the patient will die uh, or can have a very serious consequences because of lack of blood. and anybody with reasonable will be providing patients with blood because the mother is now imposing her will onto this patient who technically is incompetent and able to provide any kind of uh, um, source of independence. So this is coming from someone else. so long long story short is someone else is imposing their will and the wishes onto someone else who cannot make medical decision for them. So at that time, I will be transfusing blood for the child under the assumption that when they turn 18 or whatnot, they want to do whatever is the best for them to survive in this case.
1: Yeah, exactly. So as minors, there's a obligation to treat them, even if it goes against the wishes of the parents, if you think that it's like a life-saving treatment. And that's not just for blood products, that's for like chemotherapy and other interventions to try and save a child's Mm -hmm. life as well.
0: Yeah, I had it described to me as like if you withhold treatment from these children, it's almost a form of child abuse mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for the mother or the father, like withholding life-saving
1: treatment. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Definitely. Thanks.
0: All right. Good job, Sean. Thank okay. you. That. Thank
1: you. Cheers.
0: Those are some tough questions, Bobby, to kick us off.
1: <laughs> oh, I start easy and then I ramp up, you know?
0: All right, Bobby. So... I have a 28 year old female Uh, she gets a cervical spine fracture uh, during a uh, boxing match and um, she's not improving she's basically paralyzed from the neck down Um, she's frustrated but she's not depressed uh, and she clearly continues to request removal of the et tube saying she understands she won't survive but she doesn't want to live like this she doesn't want to be a vegetable blah 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 Um, But she has health proxies that say, no, continue all care. Uh, She doesn't know what she's talking about, blah, blah, blah.
1: What would you do in this case? So in the respect of patient autonomy, I would respect her wishes and withdraw care. Surrogate decision-making individuals don't supersede the will of the patient if they're conscious. So if she says pull the tube out and she you know, has gone through the whole informed consent of what that means. If she does remove the tube and she doesn't have anything else going on that would substantially impair her judgment, then you have to respect her wishes. Exactly.
0: Fantastic. So this is a classic case where
1: maybe your emotions get
0: ahead of you and you think, okay, like this is a 28 year old. We can't pull the tube. She has so much life to live, but if she's telling you what she wants and needs, I mean, think of it, not just as a ET tube, but think of it as any, any form of treatment. If someone said, You know, I have metastatic cancer, and I don't want chemotherapy. And they understand everything. It's essentially the same thing, right? So, like, as much as it it sounds like so morbid to take an ET tube out of a young uh, patient, uh, if that is the request, um, that is what should be done, and it supersedes, like you said, anything else that anyone else says. Even if, for example, this is uh, a kind of an alternative scenario, but let's say someone comes in and they say, "I don't want to be intubated. Whatever you do, do not intubate me." But then they get obtunded for some reason, you know, they get like confused. And then the family members come and say, yes, intubator." She's like the doctor's like decision at that point is to follow the last request of the patient, even though she's now confused. And even though the family is not demanding it, you always follow the patient's last request.
1: Definitely. And something that helps kind of remember that too is surrogate decision makers are supposed to be acting in the substituted judgment of the person that they're making the decision for. So... If they hear the patient say, oh, you know, don't intubate me or whatever, and then they become intented, like you said, and then the surrogate decision makers, like, intubate them, they're not following that. Um, and so they should, you should, like you said, you should listen to the the last will or the last demand of the actual patient before they became intended.
0: Exactly. Anything to add, Sean?
1: No, nothing. It's completely.
0: I forget, did Bobby get that right or
1: not? I think he did. I got it right. I'll drink regardless. Sorry oh cheers gotta give you guys a fighting chance somehow right okay so an elderly woman comes in with her daughter with jaundice and a painless palpable mass in her right upper quadrant You get imaging and it shows a pancreatic head mass most likely pancreatic cancer as you go to the room to deliver the bad news the daughter pulls you aside and asks you not to share the results of the study with the mother what do you do
2: um, in this circumstance um, yeah, i will still share the information to the patient um, even though this is anyone who diagnoses cancer giving the news is hard news it's breaking the news is devastating news and all, everyone's gonna be depressed and sad about it but the patient is still have to at the bottom still have autonomy to their knowing their own health conditions there are certain 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 circumstances you're allowed to hold information to the patient um, if they're saying that they're gonna they can kill themselves um, like if they were to get that information. In the circumstance that giving providing the information would do more harm than a benefit from the patient, then that would be the consideration for it. But at this time you're gonna have to tell the patient so they're able to make amends or make a medical decision for themselves.
1: Yeah, that was a well reasoned answer. Bell, do you have anything to add? Perhaps
0: I think uh all things considered you should tell the patient unless, like Sean said, Um, there is a specific reason. So maybe that would be the correct answer on the, the correct answer on the test to me would be one of two things. It would be uh, move forward and tell the patient or to address the concerns of the family member and figure out just exactly why uh, they don't want you to tell the patient.
1: Yeah, exactly. So in real life, you guys are both totally right. You would tell the patient the test answer that I was kind of reading my mind for was, um, you want to ask for more details about why the daughter doesn't want you to tell the mom. And you can also run it by the mom and say, you know, mm-hmm. we have these test results. Do you want me to talk to you about your prognosis and everything? Or do you want your daughter to be in charge of the decision-making? Cause I, I know in certain mm-hmm. cultures, especially there's this, um, superstition or belief that, being told bad results like makes them worse or makes it so that it'll come to fruition and so allowing another family member to know what's going on being the one to manage your care will lead to like better outcomes than if you are told about Mm -hmm. it directly so
0: wow very interesting that's a good way to remember it Mm -hmm. as well very nice see he gets you every time he does he does
2: (laughs) those tricky questions
0: sometimes i will pull out poems too from
2: spongebob uh... Bobby
0: Yes I have a 50 year old gentleman who attempted suicide by driving his car into a tree Uh, so he was intending to end his life Uh, he was found severely hemorrhagic in the ED and he refused to give consent for surgery which would be necessary to stop said bleed so he states he wants to die he was recently diagnosed with cancer and he refused surgery for that as well so He says, my life is complete and now I want it to end. What do you do?
1: That is a good question. I think in this instance, the patient's decision-making capacity is clearly obstructed by his depression. And so in this instance, he, you have a duty to treat the patient kind of, despite what he is expressing to you.
0: Right. Sean, anything to add or any alternative theories?
2: No, no. Um, from my understanding, is anybody who is, I, we always want to go for autonomy. If they're able to voice what's the concern, able to understand what's going to happen, we let them choose under the premise that they're competent, able to comprehend the conversation. Someone who's actively suiciding does not have their own, their, the best, this, no, in, the best mindset, mindset to do for the best for themselves. So in that case, it'd be considered as incompetent. Um, so I completely agree with you. The person cannot make medical decision for themselves.
0: Perfect, you guys are both right. If someone is actively suicidal, it's the same as uh, depressed. It's, it would be the same as someone coming in with a drug overdose and saying, I don't wanna be treated or jumping off a bridge. I mean, just because they drove a car, it uh, doesn't change anything. It's still a suicide attempt. And if it is a suicide attempt, um, you basically, can't listen to they basically can't prevent you from um doing what you think would be best for the patient at that time uh so in this case you would perform the surgery uh Mm -hmm. to save his life or at least try to good job guys i thought that would be tough
1: well i have a good follow-up question so we'll we'll see be the judge of that (laughs) (laughs) i have a bad follow-up question so we'll see so you have a patient with a history of schizophrenia who comes in after stepping on a rusty nail. She's not up to date on her tetanus shot. And after explaining the risks and benefits, the patient declines the shot, saying that she would rather try and do some juice cleanses at home. What do you do?
2: Hmm.
0: So just to be clear, you have a schizophrenic mm-hmm. patient, otherwise like understands what's going on and uh, refuses the tetanus shot. Mm-hmm.
2: Hmm. So... Anybody with psychiatric disorder, you're always concerning um, on their own any any kind of psychiatric illness that will make them incompetent. Um, The question did not state anything about like a physical exam or any documentation. The patient is undergoing some psychiatric illness that prevent them able to make a medical decision in clear set of mind. So if that's not the case, we have to assume regardless of their medical illness that the patient is able to make decisions. For themselves, if they're able to voice the question, knowing the consequences, the benefit, the risk, alternative therapy. Um, in this case, she knows that the tendons, uh, there's a discussion about it and about the standard therapy for that individual, but they still elected to do the alternative therapy, which is the juice cleansing diet, uh, knowing that if you discuss with the person, it's like, oh, it's going to be not that beneficial for him from a science standpoint, but if they still voices understands it and they're competent, then I will agree. I think this answer the question, I would just agree with the patient and say, go ahead, you can do the truth. But if you want to come back, if you feel really sick, we'd be happy to treat you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I thought I was going to get you with a history of schizophrenia, but just because somebody has a history of mental illness doesn't necessarily mean that their decision-making capacity is impaired. And I didn't say Mm -hmm. anything in the question sim that would lead you to believe that it was. And so you already kind of touched on the things that you need in terms of informed consent, in terms of the patient understanding the risk and benefits and being able to explain, you know, their reasoning. The one other thing to add is if you want the patient's opinion to be durable. So if they're flip-flopping back and forth about whether they want something to be done or not, that is an instance where you can do, you know, act in what you believe is their best interest and either do or don't do the procedure. But if they have a durable opinion and they seem competent otherwise, then you are, Oh, you're supposed to follow their wishes, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Very nice. Good questions all around. Very high yield. Cheers. Sean, I don't know if you're familiar with our podcast, but people love the slurping noises. They love the, the mouth sounds. Oh
1: my god. Give me some of that. Thank you, thank you. That's a nice pouring sound too. That'll be
0: good. So, Bobby, I have a tough one. I'm pulling out all the stops for you, okay? <clears throat> you have a, a 20-year-old taxi driver. He comes to the clinic. He has a fever. He has a cough. And his sputum is positive for acid-fast bacilli. The patient is unwilling to take a TB test. And his sputum remains positive. And he won't get go, under, go therapy, direct observe therapy. And... Uh, you continue to discuss it with him, encourage him, even threaten him, educate him, advise him, everything. You beg him to take his medication, but he refuses.
1: What do you do? So when there's risk of harm to others, that is the one, one of the few circumstances where you are allowed and you have a moral duty to violate patient autonomy because the risk of him spreading TB to other people in the population at large outweighs, you know, the benefits of maintaining his, his autonomy. So in this instance, you would actually hospitalize the patient and make them take the TB medication.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you actually remove the patient from his job and actually essentially incarcerate him in a hospital against his will Mm -hmm. uh, for the greater good of the public. So it's kind of a scary thing to think about, um, and there are very few cases, I know a lot of people think about like their psychiatry rotations in mm-hmm. you know, a similar light at times, but um, yeah, that's exactly right. TB is one of those diseases that we don't mess around with. Um, so exactly right. Well done, Bobby.
1: Cool. I'll get to that.
0: Yeah. I have a follow-up question if uh, Sean, you want to take a, sure. a gander at it. Also kind of related to the ethics of what we do and do not report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, within the health department, so I'm going to name off a couple bugs and I'll, I'll go back and forth between you and Bobby mm-hmm. and we'll see uh which bugs just tell me which bugs, yes or no, uh in regards to do I report this to the health department or not. So, Sean, mm-hmm. salmonella do you report Salmonella to the health department?
2: That would be a yes. Um, that is a yes. That is a yes. Um, I forgot there's a couple of years back on the news they were talking about Salmonella outbreaks and restaurants and people getting real sick from it, yeah. Um and the reason why you have to, you know, um, report these illnesses because they are illnesses that can be preventable. You're preventing patients or other people from contracting disease, having them have real being real sick, and you know, develop a complication from it. So you have a moral on this, you know, moral ground that you have to let people know about the serious circumstances. It can prevent people from being harmed by it.
0: Yeah, exactly. And in regards to salmonella, you allow for essentially contact tracing or kind mm-hmm. of figuring out. Uh, where they got their sources from, and you can go back to um, the root of the cause. I'm sure they did that for Chipotle when they had their E. coli breakout. They kind of sourced uh, where this E. coli was coming from and found out that the Chipotle was the culprit. So great answer. So next bug is Bobby, and this is I'm not using this bug for any specific reason, but gonorrhea.
1: The answer is yes. If the patient won't tell their partner themselves, well, you have to report to the health department, and then you also have to report it to their partner unless they agree to do it themselves
0: fantastic yep exactly and, you, and reports to the health department people might be like why do i report gonorrhea to the health department but it's actually uh because uh gonorrhea is a very finicky bacteria that gets in- increasingly resistant to certain medications so it's important for them to understand uh, how kind of the trend is moving in regards to uh, resistance to certain antibiotics among mm-hmm. other things so it's important to kind of follow that closely all right sean uh we already talked about tuberculosis what about mm-hmm. herpes simplex
2: no you don't have to it's it's such a common virus um transmission-wise everyone almost everyone has so you don't have to report it
0: you can't really treat it too well i mm-hmm. guess you can't really vaccinate it for mm-hmm. it so you kind of just have to go with the shot so yes mm-hmm. you're exactly right you do not uh report that to the health department and then, bobby this one's a tough one but what about measles yes yep exactly and that one stems from literally measles being uh, Mm -hmm. such a rare occurrence that if it does uh outbreak if there is a concern for measles outbreak it's definitely something people should know about it definitely raises concern for certain people uh maybe that are immunocompromised or don't have a vaccine for whatever reason need to be more cautious and uh, they need to figure out the source among other things like i think there was a measles outbreak uh in socal a couple years back, maybe more than a couple years back at this point, and they like sourced it to actually like Disneyland. Like that's where like the people were getting it, remember? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I remember
1: that happening. That was like what, 2016?
0: Oh gosh, you have a good memory. If that is 2016, I'll be very impressed. Wow. Oh wow, February
2: 20, 2015. Well done,
1: Bobby. Close enough. Uh, one thing that I would just add this is more of like a historical interest, I guess, but Typhoid Mary um, mm. was the first instance where they like started doing contact tracing and she i mean salmonella typhi so that goes back to your first point that you made
0: mary mary quite contrary i love it that's my poem for the day why would you have a poem for the day
1: well since we're talking about ethics i would say you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose but you can't pick your friend's nose because that would violate patient autonomy
0: (laughs) oh Um, all right Sean are you ready yes I have a 70 year old man he's admitted for an infectious disease that requires weeks and weeks of antibiotics mm-hmm. when you order the medication you forget to set it for the right duration it actually ends like around seven or eight days in mm-hmm. and you notice it but it's only after maybe a day and a half or two days of him not getting it of like a four-week course and you restart it and there's no harm Um, no -hmm. clinical deterioration Mm -hmm. and you start the antibiotics and nothing there's no difference what should you tell the patient if anything at
2: all you should i will i would tell the patient um thank god there is no harm to the patient done um this will be considered a medical error uh, even though this is not because you did it on purpose or harm, this is probably just a common error that happened that you forgot to click and then saying that, oh, I wanted the X amount of days for the therapy. Um, at the end, is the patient still has the right to know what has happened to them. And with the, in the very beginning, you probably say, oh, we didn't treat you for X number of days. But unfortunately, it fell short because of medical error. But you would still let the patient know what has happened, how we we'll address it, and the consequences, which in this case is no harm. There's nothing has no, no negative deterioration to the patient's heart health. So I would just be honest to the patient, apologize for the error, and say, we're gonna continue the antibiotics, complete the days. If I have any question, i would be happy to answer.
0: Exactly. It's kind of an embarrassing thing to do. It's something no one wants to do, mm-hmm. uh, admit fault, and the patient might have a little bit more distrust in you, mm-hmm. and they might not maybe respect your judgment or your calls as much, but it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you lose some credibility, they patients deserve to know what's happening to their body um it's described it was described to me in the past that like when you bring your car for repair and the mechanic makes a mistake and uh, the car still doesn't work you're entitled to know that the car is your property mm-hmm. so these people have their bodies their bodies their property um so they deserve to know everything that's happening regardless if ultimately the end outcome uh is changed at all so mm-hmm. that's exactly right mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. And even in instances where there is harm, admitting your mistake and then doing your best to address it has been shown to reduce lawsuits and malpractice claims. So it's good Mm -hmm. practice regardless.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. All right, Bobby, I have one more question for you as well. Alrighty. It's about children. They're the worst. So a 14 year old boy comes in and brought in by his neighbor and he has this big cut on his forehead. Uh, there's a laceration to the scalp and you evaluate him and say you probably need some sutures Um, let's get that sutured up what is the next step does the physician suture it up Uh, does he just get consent from the neighbor does he need to wait for a parent does he need to wait for both parents what does he do
1: so the classic way to remember whether or not you need consent to do a procedure on a child that i learned is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So you don't need to inform the parents to do a procedure and assent as opposed to consent, because if they're a minor, then they have to assent. Um, so for things like contraception, sex, you can prescribe it without informing the parent. Things like drug overdoses, you can treat them without informing the parent. And then rock and roll refers to trauma. So in this instance, it's probably not a life-threatening injury, but you probably still should suture it up. So I would treat the patient and then inform the parents afterwards.
0: Oh, interesting. Sean, what do you think? Bobby's right. right. Bobby's right that it's not yeah. life-threatening.
2: It's not life-threatening.
0: So Bobby answered it yeah. right. He's just overthinking.
2: I, I would, this is tough because if this is an adult, I mean, automatically they can, they can tell you about this. stuff. given that automatic, because a patient is a minor, you can make a medical decision for yourself um so just the pay- get the neighbor to answer right No no you can not because you want the pay- you want funny individual who's able who are competent and able to express and do what want to happen because in this situation it's it's um if you don't suture it for 30 minutes that's okay that's all right um no harm can be done um, but you want to have a comprehensive discussion with the individual such which in this case has to be the parent and of a risk and benefit and so I would, um i will hold off uh, the procedure um and just call back the parent again um make sure that i'm able to discuss with them because this holding off for another 30 or nine hours is not going to result in net harm for the patient
0: yeah i think what everyone said is absolutely correct i'm filled with glee that bobby got one incorrect and it brings me so much joy that wow. this podcast was well, not just me getting incorrect so i can see he's already drinking and he's <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah exactly so sex drugs rock and roll mm-hmm. uh, prenatal care contraception all that good stuff uh, you can do uh, you can help the kiddo without telling the parents without telling the spouse without telling anybody else mm-hmm. uh, for kiddos like this where it's not life-threatening yes you can wait for consent for a parent a neighbor is not uh, a- an appropriate person to get consent mm-hmm. from even a grandparent unless there's uh, unless the parent has written something saying like the grandparent can make medical decisions uh, even a grandparent uh, should not be able to to make uh, medical decisions for a grandchild, for example. So wait for the consent of the parent. Um, The last thing I would like to mention in regards to kiddos, there are some emancipated minors. Uh, There are some criteria such as uh, married with children, military, financially uh, not relying on uh, their uh, parents. So there are a couple things to consider. And if you do see those uh, people, they can make their own medical decisions without need of parental approval
1: yep and just one thing to add and i doubt this would actually show up on the test but the one exception to sex drugs and rock and roll is abortion related treatment it varies mm-hmm. by state right as to whether or not the parents need to be informed and it opens up a whole other can of worms and that it varies substantially in terms of what the requirements are to offer those mm-hmm. services to a minor So, it won't show up on a test, but just know that that is not covered under sex, drugs, and rock and roll.
0: Right. Yeah, what I read is that abortion, because it's so state dependent, and this is a national board exam, is like often the best answer is just like encourage discussion with like the parents or encourage discussion. Like, that's always the the best answer in that Mm -hmm. case if you see something about abortion. But I agree with Bobby, you likely won't. All right. Well, I
1: think that wraps it up. Bobby, how was your brew? It was pretty good. It was an American style. It tasted kind of like an IPA. It was uh, Beastie by Market Garden Brewery. I'd give it a 8 out of 10. It's pretty good. I'd have it again.
0: What a earthy tones did you pick up this time?
1: There was a little bit of beryllium, but it wasn't too bad. It's manageable. So, uh, similar to prior uh,
0: drinks we've had on this podcast, mm-hmm. there is no uh, score on beer advocate for this Uh, brew however there is a score on untapped and it is a 3.7 out of 5 so you rated it a little bit above the average but not too far right 7.4 is kind of where it would be at and you had it at around 8 so people agree with you though they think it's very stouty for for the drink that it uh, portrays it so
1: this american stout is very (laughs) stouty
0: All right, Sean. How did you like our Longship Brewery brew, the Lingonberry Wheat Beer?
2: Honestly, this is a good beer in my taste. I would drink it again. Not a problem at all. So I can't give a rating since I don't have any reference to compare to. Never had to Work beer on your sample high. size. I'm gonna have to work on that n number.
0: Let's say um, f- five is like you would drink it again, but you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go for it in the aisle and like 8 is like you enjoyed it and you would drink it again mm-hmm. uh without a doubt. Uh where oh, would you rank I'll, it?
2: I would drink it without a doubt.
0: Fantastic. So maybe like an 8 out of 10. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. I would probably say the same thing. Um, it's very smooth, fruity, a kind of tone at the end like it leaves mm-hmm. your tongue with like a nice little berry flavor. So I think it's a fantastic brew. I would I would rank it 8 out of 10 as well. That was a Lingonberry Wheat Beer from Longship in San Diego. Nice. Beautiful brew, very kind people. All right, guys, that is it for today's episode. As always, reach out to us if you have any questions, if you enjoy the podcast, if you're watching us on video, smash that like button so other people like you can find us. And as always, we have a website, buzzwordsmed.com. Stop laughing, Bobby. And uh, (laughs) it uh, has a lot of great practice exams, videos, podcasts, links, among other things. So Mm -hmm. until next time, thank you, Sean, for joining us. We will see you guys soon. Cheers. Take care.